You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. We are back with a 2-0 edition of the Mile High Report radio podcast. The Denver Broncos uh, faced off against hated rival the Raiders this week, uh, coming away with a 20-19 win that uh, felt very much in doubt from from the kickoff, to be quite honest, Ian. Um, but a win is always just fine in my book, and especially when it's over the Raiders. Exactly. They didn't plop it out there and expect it to perform, especially on that last drive. Or, or they did, and it just didn't perform. I don't know, except for on that last drive. The last drive, it worked. I will say that Case Keenum did plop out some guts and some balls and some fortitude on his touchdown run on fourth down, but also that drive that led to the game-winning field goal by Brandon McManus. Absolutely, and 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 uh, kudos to McMoney for straight kicking it straight down the gooch. That was fantastic. He was my game ball. Um, he's been he's been McMoney both games this season so far. He hasn't missed, and uh, he's been he's been true, and I like that. And when the pressure's on, he still walked out there and kicked it right down the middle, and we'll take it. So um, I, I like seeing Brandon McManus do good things. I like seeing a quarterback who didn't play as well as he needs to and knows he needs to play better. I like seeing them show the ability to come out and put it together in the second half when it needs to happen because we didn't see that the last couple of seasons. No, (laughs) no. In fact, first, the first half, it was like watching Trevor Simeon play football again. And I mean, this is what I said to you before we started. I said, it was, we, we might as well have been watching Trevor Simeon in the first half. And you were absolutely right uh, in your response, which was just what you said before. Case Keenum came out and showed he had guts and balls and cojones, if you will. He had the pale, you know, he came out there and and he, he changed things. And that was, I think, a big moment for the Broncos as well. Coming out of the locker room in the second half, they came out with a different attitude. And they were by no means still play- – they weren't playing a ton better, Right but they were playing well enough to make good things happen and be able to come away with a win and to hold to hold the Raiders to nothing in the third and fourth quarter and walk away with a, a 20 to 19 victory I'll t- I mean again I'll take it I'll take it every time and the stats bear out that Trevor Simeon-esque first half by the Broncos offense when they go punt 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 interception punt mercifully the end of the half but then in the second half they come out and it's a completely different offense touchdown field goal touchdown game winning field goal and I think that's entirely because of the belief in Case Keenum and knowing that he is going to be able to do what it takes to lead his team to victory he showed it last week against the Seahawks when he threw three interceptions, but he was able to put that in the back of his mind and lead them on a game-winning drive with a beautiful touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas. And then this week, 
after the defense makes a huge stop and they're and the Raiders are forced to punt. The Broncos get the ball back and he proceeds to lead a John Elway esque drive with less than two minutes for the game winning 36 yard field goal by Brandon McManus. I mean, that is awesome. And it makes it even more awesome because he did it against the Raiders. Yeah. And you know what? It was frustrating to watch that game because of how often they kept showing Raider fans at Mile High Stadium while the Raiders were winning. And there's nothing more frustrating than to watch your favorite team on TV playing against their most hated rival. And the only fans they keep showing are fans of the team that you hate the most because they're beating you because they are handily whooping you up and down the field. And there were so many issues with the Broncos in that first half. The way that the defense played was, was, was not good at all. The scheme was terrible and the way that the offense played was even worse. And so it was just the frustration of watching that game. And then they went in at halftime. Like, I love that you said mercifully, it felt like it was like, just shoot that horse. It's dead already. And, then they came out and they were a completely different team. They were, uh, at least on offense, they they had uh, a better game plan. They seemed to be a little more, I don't I don't know what's the word, aggressive, right? They, they were attacking more. And that was a good thing to see them do that. And when, when Case Keenum is right, he's, he's really good. And that last drive, less than two minutes, no timeouts. That's the other big one. And he had a huge drop from Demarius Thomas at least once on that drive. And he still got it done. He still got them down the field. Great play by Patrick, right, to catch the ball and run and get out of bounds, give them time to kick the field goal. It was it was a big win. It's it's always it's always big when it's the Raiders, but to see, you know, to have that win in the division and to see what Kansas City is doing right now uh, with putting up as many points as they're putting up on teams, you know that you're going to have a dogfight in the division. Uh, and then, you know, with the Chargers also putting up tons of points and whatnot, this is going to be a tough division to win. you got to keep pace and you got to win those division games. I think the offense turned when Case Keenum finally started to target Emmanuel Sanders because that's when the offense started to move the football. That's what gave the offense some rhythm. And then on top of that, Philip Lindsay. What is there left to say about this this undrafted special football player? I mean, it's it, it's beyond a great story at this point. It, it it's turning into just sit back and watch it because what he's doing we've never seen before from an undrafted player. And Broncos fans have seen some incredible things from undrafted players in Rod Smith and Chris Harris Jr. But with his First 100-yard rushing day after after a, uh, a piling 100 yards of total offense last week when he became just the third undrafted player in NFL history to do that, then the first running back. He became the first undrafted player in NFL history with 100 or more scrimmage yards in each of his first two games. And I think he really does need to be the lead running back at this point because he he sets the tone. Yeah, I, you know it's interesting. If you almost feel bad for Royce Freeman because 
he's not a bad running back. And he's really going to be the bell cow. But Philip Lindsay is the one who is, is, like you said, setting the tone. He's the one who sets the pace for that team. He's the one who has has the ability to break off a huge run. And I'm not saying that Royce Freeman doesn't have that ability. And we just haven't seen it yet. But it really is apparent at this point that the the best player on the field, when Philip Lindsay is on the field, he's the best player on the field. And that's something that when you get a guy like that who's an undrafted free agent, I, I watch him play and I, I think to myself, how did nobody draft him? How is it possible that he went through seven rounds of the NFL draft and nobody thought, yeah, let's pick this guy up. And then it almost feels like the Broncos sign him because he's from Colorado and they needed a roster spot filled. Well, the Broncos passed on him drafting him too. So it's not that's what I'm saying. The other like, 31 teams. Right. It's that's what I'm saying. Is it wasn't just the Broncos or you know, it was everybody. And here he is just just tearing defenses apart. And I know that Seattle isn't as what what they once were, and the Raiders aren't good because they're they they're missing a player, and we'll have to talk about that. But what he's doing to NFL talent tells you he should have been drafted, and it's that's a big miss on everybody's part. It's not just that he went undrafted; he didn't even go to the combine. He didn't even get an invite to Indianapolis. Which I mean, well, that's who, two major fails. No, nobody wants to go to Indianapolis. Let's let's be fair. Unless you're unless you're there for the Indy 500 or something, and even then you're kind of like, uh, it's Indianapolis. So, I guess I can understand not wanting to show up, but he deserved the invite. You're right. And I I I think people are absolutely the scheme by Joe Woods was atrocious, and the play of the secondary, namely Tremaine Brock and Adam Jones was horrid if there was if there was any day that there was going to be belief that the Broncos should have kept Aqib Tlaib this is going to be the day that brings all that talk back but despite all that and despite how well Derek Carr played I mean he went 29 of 32 for 288 yards and a touchdown that's a heck of a game Despite all of that, the defense still held the Raiders to 19 points. And I get and I we talked about it in our Mile High Report Slack, where it, it, it felt like Marshawn Lynch was more effective running the ball than he really was. And the same goes for the Raiders, because they still held him to 18 carries. 65 yards and 3.6 yards per carry. It seemed like that should have been higher than that. And they held the Raiders to under 100 yards rushing. And I think a big a big reason for that is Domata Pecco. He he played a hell of a football game. A hell of a football game. And he was one of the leading tacklers. He finished with five tackles and one tackle for loss. You know, that's actually an interesting point that you make and it, it kind of actually brings a flashback to mind here of the the Broncos defense from last year. They were really stout against the run last year and struggled against the pass as well. So I I kind of wonder if if that's the way things are going to be under Joe Woods, then that's going to that's going to cause problems against certain teams because there are teams out there that the Broncos will face that will be more than happy to take all of those passing yards. Teams like, again, I'll mention them again, Kansas City and, and Los Angeles, the Chargers, 
and and even when they when they play the Los Angeles Rams for that matter. That's a that's an issue, right? Joe Woods has a problem here because his scheme is is good for stopping the run, but gives up just chunk yardage on pass plays. And when your third cornerback is Adam Jones and Tremaine Brock, and they are not successful, you're going to have big problems. And the fact that the Broncos were able to overcome that today is great, but will they be able to overcome that in the future? And watching that scheme, when you've got cornerbacks and defensive backs playing 20 yards off all the time, you're asking a lot of your defensive line to get to the quarterback uh, in passing situations. They can't sustain that, in my opinion. I think Randy Gratishar and Tom Jackson said it best. It doesn't matter how many yards you give up. Keep people off the scoreboard. Broncos did that. They held an offense to 19 points that moved the ball up and down the field. But when it mattered most, they, they clamped down and kept them out of the end zone, which is why they won the football game. Well, and should we talk about how the other reason they won the football game was Shaq Barrett getting in and blocking the extra point that would have made it 2020, right? We would have been going into overtime with that field goal and who knows what would have happened. That's incredibly huge. And that's why he got my game ball. I mean, it's not often that a guy who blocks an extra point gets a game ball, but Barrett's play obviously proved to be the difference. And as he did in week one against the Seattle Seahawks, he just always finds a way to make an impact whenever he's on the field. And here's hoping we start to see Barrett on the field more in coming weeks on the defense, put him opposite Von Miller because he is the most Von Miller like player amongst the orange rush right now of any player on that defense. So give him more opportunities to make plays and his stats back that up. He finished with the exact same stat line as Bradley Chubb, three tackles, two solo tackles. I, we, I want to see Bradley. I want to see Shaquille Barrett on the field more because he, always finds a way to make an impact. I wonder how, I want to know how many snaps he had. We talked about it in, in the last show with Perna. He only had four snaps in the first game and was, like you said, incredibly impactful. The effect he had on the game was, was felt very much so. And then in this game, again, limited snaps, but and I, I'm, I'm sure he was out there for more than four snaps. I, th- I think it had to be more than help, that. Especially with what he was able to do against... The Seahawks last week. Right. And so I, I imagine it was more, but I, I still think it was probably limited. And he gets he gets the biggest play of the game, really, to that point uh, with the with the, the block of the extra point. And when you look back on it, and that's the thing that we talked about before, and, you know, we talked about it in Slack, like you said, that that goes through. Instead of being blocked, we're, t- we're probably talking about something different, or we could be talking about something different, or who knows what we're talking about right now. Maybe we're angry, maybe we're not, but he has an impact every time he's on the field, and I, I just like to see him out there more and more because he's he's really he's really making the de- he makes the defense better every time he's on the field. So you could say that the Orange Rush won the game. You could you could say that the Orange Rush was the reason they were still in the game at the end. So 
there has been uh, a run on shirts for the orange rush shirt. Mm-hmm. I got note from breaking tea that they have been restocked. They're good to go. So everyone listening, go out and get the orange rush shirt because we're both wearing it. Everyone needs to wear it. Shaq Barrett <laughs> proved that you need to, to wear it. I almost want to send one to, to, you know, to Von Miller or, or something like that and see if we can get him to wear it. But it was funny. I did just, I did just hold my shirt up that I'm wearing to, to show to really only Ian, right? I was, you're the only person watching us unless, you know, the NSA is watching us or something like that. <laughs> Which it, it could, it could be. I mean, it's a, we're, Hey, we're worldwide. They might be listening in watching what's going on. I got the camera on. I'd want to know. It always feels like someone's watching me. Oh no. I knew we were going to, I see, I knew we were going to go there, but I didn't want us to have to go there. And then, and then we went there anyway. And that's okay. Cause it does always feel like that. Nobody's, nobody's watching us. Nobody cares. No, nobody wants to see this. They don't mind listening, but nobody wants to see it, I think, is the point I'm making. So we mentioned Case Keenum, Philip Lindsay, Shaquille Barrett, Emmanuel Sanders, Tim Patrick, Brandon McManus. There's one more winner that we have to mention, and that's Pat Bolin. As Patrick Patrick Smythe tweeted on uh, Sunday after the game, he said the win by the Broncos was the 350th overall victory of Bullen's ownership, marking the fastest by far any owner has reached that milestone in 581 games. The next stop for Denver's owner is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And it couldn't be any sweeter than that win coming against the Raiders. Well, because... Everybody loves to beat the Raiders and to win in comeback fashion uh, on a last minute drive. There's really nothing better. And and it epitomizes Pat Bowen's ownership as well, because throughout Pat Bowen's ownership, who did you have as quarterback for most of those years? Captain comeback himself, John Elway. So um, this is what better and what better way to get that win than with a John Elway esque Game-winning drive. Exactly. And John, and John Elway-esque balls. John John Elway-esque balls. How does – we should pro, let's move on from that one. John Elway-esque balls is a little weird. I'm not sure where we go from here on that. Um, In terms so, of the losers, yeah. I, we mentioned Tremaine Brock and Adam Jones, which I am going to dub the fly zone. <laughs> the other loser – it's Demarius Thomas. Right. I mentioned him a little bit. Yep. To my recollection, he had three drops on the day. One that could have been fatal for his team, Mm -hmm. which is the one that that would have put the Broncos into field goal range. But thankfully on the very next play, Keenum found Tim Patrick for that 26 yard gain. And we have both been staunch defenders of Thomas. Absolutely. And think he's one of the all-time greats for this organization. Yes, we do. But that drop at the end of the game was putrid. It was it was the ugliest thing I've seen him do as a Bronco. That's, and and that's the truth. It is. And now the onus is on him to ensure this stops, or he's a liability for Denver's offense. Because well, even Bruce Arians in the game, mentioned that you just can't have that. You cannot have that. 
And is this going to turn into something like, because we both played baseball growing up. Is he going to get the yips now? Is he going to turn into Kevin Costner from 10 cup and get chili the dippers? Yeah. He's going to have some little chili dippers every now and then. Yeah. It's watching a wide receiver. I think, I think wide receiver is the closest thing to being a hitter in baseball when it comes to getting something like that, having an issue where you go into a slump and it affects your play. And Demarius Thomas is incredibly talented. He is athletic beyond belief. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. He has phenomenal hands. When he goes up to make a difficult catch, he usually comes down with it. But he drops balls that are thrown right to him that hit him in the hands, in the chest. This this is the frustration that Broncos country has with him. This is the frustration that leads people to cry for him to be dropped, for him to be cut, for him to be traded. And when you make the type of money that Demarius Thomas makes on a yearly basis, you cannot drop the ball. You cannot do it, especially in crucial situations. And I, I, I will defend Demarius Thomas just the way you did for, for days. But this, is, this has to stop. There is a point of no return, and we're reaching that with Demarius Thomas and his career with the Broncos. Because the fact is... There are two very good wide receivers waiting in the wings. And really, you could say three. I'll throw uh, Tim Patrick in there on this as well. But you've got Cortland Sutton, who made an incredible catch today that should have been a touchdown. Maybe we'll go back to that. You have Desha- Deshaun Hamilton, who is an excellent route runner, who blocks downfield, has great hands. And and then you have Tim Patrick, who he's the one who he made the catch that Demarius Thomas should have made. You know what I'm saying? Like that's Demarius mm-hmm. Thomas who should be making that catch. And instead it's Tim Patrick because Demarius Thomas cannot hang on to the football. And he took a shot today and he plays through injury and he plays through pain. And I have a lot of respect for that, but he cannot keep dropping the ball. It has to stop because he's really, he's playing himself to a point where he's not necessary on the team anymore. And it's because of these young guys that are behind him. Well, like I just said, the onus is on him to ensure this stops because if this continues, he's a liability and you cannot put him on the field. You just cannot do it. And it's going to be a difficult decision, but if he continues to drop balls and drop and drop a ball, like he did in that situation, you have to pull him. He cannot see the field because he's a liability. He's going to cost his team. If this continues, so he needs to do some serious soul searching over the next week, whether he just stands in front of a jugs machine for 24 hours and be like a kid shooting free throws. And he's not going to leave until he catches a hundred straight balls. A thousand. A hundred thousand. I don't care. The number must be very high. A hundred isn't enough. It's got to be 500. Or a thousand balls. That's just the next practice. He doesn't even need to practice running routes. He just needs to stand in front of a jugs machine. I like that idea. I think you're absolutely right. It's got to stop. But can we go back? Okay, Demarius Thomas. That's really disappointing. But can we go back to Cortland Sutton's non-touchdown catch? First of all, I, I'm 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 going to say it, and I, and 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 all Broncos fans are going to agree with me. And if we have to click explicit for it, so be it. But that was straight bullshit. I might be able to beep it. I don't know. But um, it was a terrible call. 
It was it was a terrible call. And here's the problem with it. And this is this is where I think the NFL can fix this a little bit. That's one where almost no matter what, you have to call that a catch and then review it and then go in and do the replay, right? You, because all scoring plays are reviewed anyway. And so I think, in, in my opinion on this, is if all scoring plays are reviewed anyway and there is any doubt one way or the other, then what you should do as a, as a referee is call it a touchdown. You call it a touchdown and then you let the, the guys upstairs figure it out. You take it out of, out of the referee's hands in that situation because that was absolutely a catch. It was absolutely a catch. And I, I, I don't understand what people were looking at in the review. His foot goes down and then it kicks out and his knee hits the ground. And there is no white grass that flies up in the air. If you look at that, they showed a, they showed a replay of it from the side where you could see all of the, the sod that came up from when his foot slips out from underneath him as he's going to the ground. It's all green. There's no white in it at all. If he touched the white, there would have been some white in there. That was absolutely a catch, and it was a beautiful catch. It was an incredible, that was one of those Odell Beckham moments, right? That was one of those catches where you went, oh my God, and then they took it away from him. They took it away from him, and he earned it. Oh, that made me mad for him. And, and for us, his Bronco fans, I was awesome. But that kid earned that touchdown. Tim Patrick's was a catch, too. Thank you. That was a touchdown, too. So that's two touchdowns the refs stole from the Broncos on two incredible catches. And can I, I, I am so sick of the National Football League making this more difficult than it is when it doesn't know what a catch is. That would be the equivalent of baseball not knowing what a hit is. I mean, with those two catches, what Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton did is the equivalent of two guys hitting gappers. And because the defenders, the center, the center fielder or the right fielder or wherever it is, wherever it's hitting in the gap, and the umpires then say, oh, they're out because they caught it off the wall. That's the equivalent of what the NFL did. They're making it they're making it more difficult than it needs to be. A catch is a catch. Is it a catch when you played with your buddies in the street or at the school or wherever it was when you were growing up? If that's that, that needs to be the rule because both of those were catches. You know, who else said that they were catches was Gene Steratore. So if you were watching the game, they went to, you know, they've got Gene Steratore, former former NFL referee. And, and he I always says, felt one of the best in the NFL. And he absolutely was very good. And and we're not just saying that because he agrees with us here, but we are going to say it because he agrees with us. He said those were catches. How is it possible that you can have a league office, you can have a guy who's working and looking at the same screen as Gene Steratore, essentially, come away with a different answer than one of the best NFL referees in the last 20 years. And not just Dean and not, and not just Sterator. You had one of the best coaches of the last 15 years. And Bruce Arian saying both were catches. You had a quarterback who played in the NFL saying both were catches. How is there that disconnect between what everyone sees and then in New York in the field office. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd I would like to hear something from. I don't know what you do to get a an explanation, um, but I know they send out the letters. You know, they send out the letters of these are the mistakes that were made by the referees in your game, so that you can see kind of what what happened. I would like to see what the NFL says to the Denver Broncos in regards to the those two catches because they were absolutely catches. I, I don't understand one, it. And the first one by Patrick. The, the rule change that they put in into place this yeah. offseason was supposed to alleviate this discussion. Exactly. It's supposed to be you get control, make a football move. You don't have to maintain possession after you make a football move. He had both feet down, had an elbow down, made a football move. That in and of itself is a catch. So even their new rule, they don't know it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we, we talked a little bit about you know how when they came out after the after the first half, the second half they were so much better prepared. They were so much better, and, and they were they were more aggressive. And there was a big switch that was turned. It almost felt like that Patrick a drop. I guess we have to call it a drop, even though it isn't. But that play and the Cortland Sutton play were so deflating that it that it really took the air out for the Broncos' offense to the point where. I mean, you're sort of just scratching your head, like, well, what do we got to do to score then? And to me, that could have that could have been the end of it. That could have been the downfall of the team. So really, they overcame not just playing poorly in the first half, but two horrible calls by the referees, and really just a a, a really bad scheme by the defense. They overcame a lot and still walked away with a victory. This is. This is a pretty big win if you think about just how awful everything went for the Broncos. I'm going to bring back a term that got a lot of Broncos fans. Oh, here we go again. I'm going to say it. Kicking and screaming. Because they faced a lot of adversity in this game. Some of it of of its own accord with horrible scheming on defense. Bad play by the secondary, namely Brock and Jones. Drops by DT. Horrible offensive execution and play call in the first half. They overcame a lot to win this football game. And if that isn't kicking and screaming, I I don't know what is. So I I, I know Broncos fans may, may goff at it a little bit, but it is nice to see, especially – with all the derp we saw the last two seasons. Right. And I think you're right. And we, we go back to this idea of how bad they were last year. If that had been Trevor Simeon playing quarterback, we'd be talking about probably a, a, a 40 to nothing blowout or a, a, a 40 to you know 12 blowout, something like that. You know, the other thing that was interesting, it was the first time the Raiders had shut out uh, anybody in the first half of a football game. And, um, what was it? How many years was it? I saw some stat, and I, I should have pulled it up before I started talking about it, but it was like in like a thousand years or something. Um, that's They overcame that as well, giving up points and not scoring at all in the first half. There's Kicking and screaming is a good way to say it. As, as much as I would also like to sort of scoff at that and go, yeah, I don't think so. Kicking and screaming, there it is. And then the last one is the is the best one. The last loser is the Raiders. They would go here 
even if they had won the game. But since they're losers in every fashion, it's extra sweet. They're figurative and literal losers on Sunday. And now a joke from Just Place from Mile High Report. Knock, knock. Who's there? Owen. Owen who? Owen two Raiders. Oh! I love that joke. (laughs) And then there's also this. And this might be even funnier. After the game, John Gruden with the Raiders media is asked what the defense needs to do to pressure the quarterback more. Good, That's a good question. What would you do, John? John Gruden. We've got to do something. We've got to get there, man. We've got to, we've got to win some one-on-ones, man, and, and maybe call up some more blitzes, man. We've got to figure something out, man. We will. Hmm. Gee, I wonder what they could have done. I wonder what they were missing from this you know, game. You know what they need? And and I, they probably didn't know this going into the season, but they need a guy. They just need like a like one guy who can really get after the quarterback that teams have to sort of scheme for. A player that's really talented, that has the ability to just get into the backfield and make things happen. And I don't know where you find somebody like that. I mean, we've got Von Miller. That's pretty great. I, I don't know. Is there anybody out there that the Raiders could turn to that they could trade for or that, you know, cause it's hard to find somebody like that in the draft. What are the options? This is the first time that the Broncos have faced this defense without that, that player that, it seems like John Gruden is missing. It was the first time since 2013 that that's happened. And as pro football focus Broncos tweeted, 42 of this player's career pressures came against the Broncos. On average, he beat Denver's offensive lineman once every 4.6 pass rush snaps. Man, I. What could it have been? I, I don't I, know. Where? I wouldn't have kept him around either, though, because he wasn't. He wasn't going to get you. The defense was bad with him. The defense can yeah. be bad without him. They just need to win more one-on-ones. Yeah, just got to get after the quarterback, man. We got to just got to just dial up some blitzes, man. <laughs> How about you don't trade away a once-in-a-lifetime player, man? Thank you, John Gruden. Oh, And the best troll job of all came from Marquette King. What a troll job. And if wow. you haven't seen it, go to his Twitter account. He made a video with a Chucky doll. He like pets the head of the Chucky doll. It's so weird. Here's the thing that I love about it. That's not something he did like post game. That is something that he, the, the production value on this video is incredible it looks like a it looks like a a trailer for a movie it looks like a high-end commercial he has been planning this since the moment he left the raiders like it was like the day after he started writing this thing out and getting production in place hiring directors and producers you know just the the production value is very high his salary paid for a lot of that. You know what I'm saying? So good. And I'm going to I'm going to change the, the the troll here a little bit. It is pretty incredible what Patrick Mahomes 
is doing with that Chiefs offense. And maybe, maybe Broncos fans should be a little fearful of that. But then you remember Andy Reid as the head coach. Yeah, he doesn't know what a, uh, how to manage a clock or use timeouts. Or... Which is incredible because he definitely knows how to manage a plate. <laughs> well, he knows how to manage many plates all at once. You know, I, I will say this. I'm going to give the Chiefs a little credit here. Their offense is explosive. It is explosive, but their defense, so is their defense, their defense is explosive diarrhea. There you go. You went there. I did. I had to. It's all about explosives. It is. All right. And we we were on the verge of seeing an explosive butt. We were. We were close. Broncos fans were able to get some butt stuff from this game. You got a little butt stuff. We could use a little more butt stuff. And and I would have liked to have uh, been able to see a little more chub. And you would think with the butt stuff that that would lead to a little more chub. Yeah. Well, it's a long season, right? Like you call you called it a marathon, and you're right. It's not a sprint; it's a marathon. But it's nice to be out in front where the air is clear. And they're two and zero, while the Raiders are zero and two. And they've got one game up on one of their division rivals. That's always nice. It's always nice. What are we on to next? Who's our Who's our next opponent, Ian? The Baltimore Ravens. Ooh. All right. Well. At Baltimore, as I as I recall, right? Yeah, and they're honoring a certain individual who still hasn't found a white suit. <laughs> Sorry, that made me laugh. Made me chuckle a little bit. All right, well, okay. Here, can I just say? Yeah. I hope Von Miller, after a sack of Joe Flacco, does Ooh. a squirrel dance. Well, that would be cool, right? He's got to get him. First, he's got to get him, which I think he will. He had a sack today. We didn't talk a lot about Von Miller. Not a huge impact on the game, but he did have one sack, so so that's good. But uh, Four sacks in two games? Yeah. Well, the average is good. The average is, is very good. I'll take it. I'd like to I'd like to extrapolate that out through the season, and, and hopefully it keeps going. But, uh, yeah, squirrel dance would be nice, right? It would be a good way to, good way to celebrate that. Absolutely. So, he's, all right. He's done the dab. He did do the dab. Now a squirrel dance. Squirrel dance. Dab to squirrel dance. I love it. All right. Okay. So we are. Uh, we're on to Baltimore. Crab cakes and football. That's what Maryland does. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at MileHighReport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.